If you haven't done so, we do have some notes available for you to use to follow along with the sermon here today. But let me go ahead and get started with the reading of God's scripture. Verses 1 to 3. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I would ask this morning, God, that you would remind us, Lord, of the importance of your agape love to us. Help us, Lord, as a church to be able to look to you, God, every day as you fill us with your spirit so that unconditional, selfless love that you show to us on the cross would be able to be shared by us as your church. Help me, Lord, today to be able to communicate this passage clearly. Help us to understand your love in a rich way so that we can see what we do and understand why and how to do it. Help us this morning to understand your word in such a way, Lord, that it will look, that we will now look at every single thing that we do. And Lord, may your love, may your love that can only come from you be seen in all of it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to talk about the importance of God's love. Particularly because, as you can see on your slide, everything that we do without it is absolutely worthless to God. The reason this is the case is that love is the fuel. It is what drives every single thing that we do as a Christian. And as we will see today, even the spiritual gifts all by themselves are worthless if God's agape love cannot be found inside of us. Before we dive any further into um, this section of scripture, um, I want to set a foundation. This is going to be sort of an introductory sermon because we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks unpacking 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so before we get into today's passage today, I really do want to lay down a foundation, especially as it is with this idea of love, because I having a clear understanding of this will really help us, not just for this passage, I think, but for all the other uh, verses that we're going to look at in the chapter. So let me start off with a couple of introductory questions. So this can help us understand the importance of God's love, I think. So the first question I want to answer is, why is love so important to God? Well, to clearly put it, if there was one word that could describe the character of who God is, love would be that answer. Love is the best description 
of what God is like. And we don't have to guess at this. The Bible actually gives us this answer, as we will see from these two verses. The first being, of course, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, God is love. It's as simple as that, but it goes on even further. It says this, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What this means, in other words, is that if I am with God and God is in me, then love should be found inside of me. Not just any love, but his love should be found in me because that love is the best description as to who he is in his character. Jesus actually takes this idea in John chapter 13, verse 35, and makes it even more clearer for us. It says, by this, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. And this is why love is so important to God is because not only is this the chief characteristic that describes who he is, but that when we are in him and he is in us, this love ought to be found inside of our lives so that those outside of the body of Christ may know that we are God's disciple based on the experience of love that we take from God and share with every single person around us. Well, the next question I want to answer is, what type of love are we talking about, honestly? Because love is that type of word that gets used in every single song, almost, that we listen to right now. There's some hint or some sort of connotation to love in one way or another. And in the frequent use of the word, love, it oftentimes cheapens the kind of love that Paul wants to talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So what type of love is being referred to? Well, there's worldly type of love that is selfish, and then there's a selfless love that can only come from God. And we're not talking about the worldly types of love. The first type of love that is worldly and selfish is eros which is the famous sexual type of love. It's the love attraction that you have with a spouse or someone you want to have in your life. And, and this type of love, while it helps us grow as a, as a population and it helps us you know, enjoy some songs that we might listen to, and, it, and it's all over the world around us to attract us to buy things all the time, this is by itself although it is used in the Song of Solomon to point to God's love, is inherently a selfish, worldly type of love. And it's not the type of love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Another type of love is phileo, or a, a brotherly, familial, sentimental type of love. This is the type of love that can be found within a family. That if you're in part of a family and someone is going through a tough time, that you guys come together and help each other out. There's a selfish side to that because there's going to be a day when you also might need their help. And so just like you would want to have help sometime, you're going to help the other people in your family and come together during troubled times like you might be doing right now. And so that's another type of worldly love. 
Another type of worldly love is actually kind of surprising, and it's a type of, of love that we're actually going to talk about a little bit later on in this passage, and that's even charity. And that's kind of surprising because in the world, we oftentimes think that charitable actions make someone good. When we see someone who's rich give away a lot of things to people in need, we must look at that person a lot of the times in the world and say, that must be the definition of a good person. But even charity can be selfish. Not in that you get what you, it's not that you receive what you give all the time, but that when you give, you feel good or you get the notoriety or you get remembered to be a generous person. And a lot of times, sometimes the reason that we give, the reason we're so generous, isn't out of the kind of love that we're talking about in chapter 13, but it's because we like that feeling of doing something good. And so I love you so that you will love me is not a selfless type of love. But that's the kind of love that we're talking about in chapter 13. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, we're talking about agape love. This is the kind of unconditional, no strings attached, selfless love. It isn't the kind of love that expects something or requires some, some type of response or results. It doesn't have any strings attached. It gives because it is loving, because God is loving. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Because God is an agape love, he is able to give his love unconditionally. And it is because we have felt and understand and know the love of God. Because we understand it and we experience it. And we know that there is nothing that we can do to repay it. That is why we respond. Not that we can give back everything that he gave us but because of the best demonstration of love that God showed for us on the cross. That is the beautiful definition of agape love. And that is the love that is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, another question I want to answer for the introduction is why does Paul think that love is so important? Why is he so concerned about love in chapter 13? Well, to get the answer to that question, I think we kind of need to look at the context of the book of where we're at right now. Because we're going to be spending so much time in this chapter, it's important to know what comes before it and what comes after this chapter. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul lists out a great number of spiritual gifts. Not all of them, but a good number of them. But you see, the problem with the list of the spiritual gifts is that he realized to the church in Corinth that they were using these spiritual gifts without God's love. And although these spiritual gifts are given by God, if we do not use them with the love of God, these things are absolutely worthless to him. In chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he talks about how the spiritual gifts are supposed to function within the body of Christ. 
But before they can function properly within the church, we need to understand how these spiritual gifts in chapter 12 are supposed to be used. You see, the thing is, is that love is a fruit of the spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the first of which is love. And so not only the motivation, but how we are supposed to use the gifts and the talents that God gives us, those things are not worth anything to him unless we use them with the intention and the motivation of love. To bless people unconditionally with no strings attached, expecting no response, no results, no affirmation, no thankfulness. We give this type of love to those that we know need it. But if you realize it is a selfless type of love that just keeps on giving, and it is the kind of love that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Because it is God's unconditional love that was shared to us first. And it is only because of the love that we have from God and have experienced from God. It is only by that that we have anything to share with those around us. And so you can see that this is an unnatural type of love. It's not the kind of love that you and I can give to others around us, an unconditional love that we can give without God's help. It's not something we can accomplish by our own human efforts. It's a love that can only come from God because it has always been unconditionally given by him. And that is why Paul is making such a point in this chapter to spend so much time talking about the spiritual fruit of love because if they don't have this, no matter what gift they have and no matter what they do and no matter what they use, will be worthless to God. Because it's not with the right motivation, with the right fuel. And that's why this is so important. When you look at chapter 13, verses 1 to 3 you realize that this is an explanation of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Paul says that he is going to show us in this chapter 13 the most excellent way. And I want you to understand the use of these types of superlatives because what we're about to read in chapter 13 are some extreme words, words like all and nothing. These types of extreme words that we find in chapter 13 are extreme because they're trying to make two points. The first, you already know, this is the importance of God's love in all that we do as Christians. But another reason is that it wants us to understand that this chapter is applicable to everybody in the Christian faith. Not a single person is exempt from taking this chapter seriously. It doesn't matter if you're a veteran Christian who's been with the Lord for decades and decades and decades. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian that have only been accepting Jesus Christ for a couple of days or a couple of seconds. It makes no matter.
they were using their spiritual gifts. And while they were using their spiritual gifts, they were not using them selflessly, but rather selfishly. They were taking the gifts that God gave them and they were boastfully uh, flaunting it like a talent show. They were bragging about the kinds of gifts that they were given and how they could use them so well. Meanwhile, those who didn't have those spectacular gifts that we'll read about in this passage were getting envious jealous, resentful upon the haves versus the have-nots. And there were division in the Corinthian church because of the improper use of the spiritual gifts. That is why love is so important. That is why agape love is so important because it is supposed to bring together, not divide the church of Christ. So let's go ahead and let's finally take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now that we have a foundation to this uh, passage in this chapter that we're going to look at for the next couple of weeks, let's look at what this three verses are saying. And these are challenging verses, especially when you look at what you do and most importantly, why you do it. There are going to be six spiritual gifts that are highlighted by Paul. And I believe that these were six spiritual gifts that were prominent in the Corinthian church at the time that they needed to be addressed. The first of the six spiritual gifts starts with the gift of tongues. Let's go ahead and read verse one of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. The first question that comes to my mind when I read a verse like this is what types of tongue is Paul talking about? You know, is it the phonetic repetition of sounds over and over again that we see so popular amongst the charismatic movement? I don't think so. I don't think that's the type of tongue that Paul is talking about. I think what he's talking about is the tongues that was given in Acts chapter 2. I actually preached a sermon on that, if you don't remember. And, and I really enjoyed understanding that the type of tongue that was spoken about in that chapter was actually a human foreign language that was unknown to the speaker who spoke it. Rather, the foreigner who was visiting, who was a Jew, but didn't understand the language that was commonly used, was able to be intrigued to hear their own native language being spoken. Not only were they probably able to hear the gospel through that spoken language, but it became an even more incredible miracle for them to find in Acts chapter 2 that the person who spoke that language didn't even know what they were saying. That's I believe, is the tongues that is spoken about in chapter 13, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. But you notice there's a phrase that comes shortly after that. It says the tongues of men and of angels. A lot of people have taken that phrase and said that, well, it must have been some sort of mystical, angelic language that only angels can understand. But, you know, the interesting thing is, is that as you read the Bible, there's no reference that angels have their own language. 
At least there's no evidence of that in God's word. Every single time you hear angels speaking in the Bible, they speak in a human language that can be understood. So while there is no proof that there is an angelic language to begin with, we can say that what is probably taking place is that the Corinthian church was using these foreign languages of tongues and giving it in such a rhetorical and melodious way that it was impressing everyone who was listening to it. Everyone that could hear the way that they were using this gift of tongues were like, wow, that must be like the voice of an angel with how well they were able to phonetically pronounce everything that they said. And that's probably why it was so coveted as a gift to have. You know, it kind of reminds me of this chapter itself in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some would argue that this is the most well-written chapter that Paul has ever wrote in comparison to everything else that Paul wrote from chapter one to chapter 12. This chapter is like an oasis. It's like a poetic breath of fresh air in this book of 1 Corinthians. Now, while the church in Corinth might've been using this gift of tongues in such an amazing way, the indictment in verse one is that they were using this gift without agape love. And regardless of how melodious it might've sounded, it was worthless to God, like a clanging cymbal or like a gong worthless. It doesn't stop there. There's another spiritual gift that is talked about in verse two, the gift of prophetic powers. A question that we need to ask is what is this gift of prophecy that is spoken about in verse two? Well, you can look back at the old Testament and know that there were times when, and the reason they were chosen is that they were called to be spokespersons for God, that God was going to use that person to say what God wanted to say. God could have used anybody, but in a lot of cases, this prophecy was meant to be a judgment sometimes to what was going on with the people of God, or it could be something that was said about what is to come through the future, like in John when he wrote the book of Revelation. In either case, whether it was with the future or with, with what was going on presently at the moment, in either case, a prophet was chosen, a very esteemed position, mind you, spiritually, to be a spokesperson for what God wanted to say. But if that prophet spoke without a love for the people that he or she was speaking to, that would be absolutely worthless. Absolutely worthless to God. We actually have an example of that in the Bible, both negative and positive. On the negative side, we have a prophet named Balaam. Balaam was a prophet that was chosen by God to speak on behalf of God to the people of Israel. But then when the kings of Moab tried to bribe him and say, hey, would you curse God's people if we paid you? The fact of the matter is Balaam, Balaam wanted to do that. He wanted to curse God's people for a bribe. 
The problem with that is that it revealed that even though he was a prophet of God, he truly did not love the people he was supposed to speak to. And in Numbers chapter 31, verses 8 and 16, Balaam was killed because of that. Fortunately, we have positive examples. We have the example of Jeremiah, somebody who was persecuted, someone who was tortured, someone who was rejected, someone who was made fun of, teased, called names, cast out of his own village. And yet he put up with all of it unconditionally because he couldn't stop praying for his people that God had called him to speak to. Even though he spoke judgment, even though he spoke condemnation, he never stopped loving throughout the entire book of Jeremiah, God's people. And you see the same thing in Paul, where Paul has been flogged, Paul has been persecuted, Paul has been shipwrecked. All these terrible things are happening to Paul, not just naturally, but also by the hands of men, people that he's trying to help, people that he's trying to speak to. And still, he never gives up loving the people that God is calling him to speak to. That's a big challenge for me as a pastor as I preach to you today. As much as I love God's word and as much as I love God, it's a challenge to think about, Lord, grow my love for the people that I am called to minister to. Go, grow my agape love, not just the sentimental love that is worldly and selfish, but grow the kind of unconditional love that only you can give me, Lord. This morning, that was my prayer. Another gift that is highlighted by Paul is the spiritual gift of knowledge. We see that in verse 2, that if we can read the prophetic powers and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. This is one of the most clearest demonstrations that this is a hyperbole. It's, it's ridiculous to think that anyone in the world can know the answers to all the mysteries. It's, it's ridiculous to imagine everyone or someone in the world that knows everything about anything. And even if they were like Stephen Hawking times a million, let's just say for the argument's sake of argument that they did know everything in the world and had the answers to all the mysteries. Even if they had that and shared that with everybody, all of that would be even worthless to God because you know the answer. Do they love? Do they have that agape love? Even if you had all the answers to all the questions of the world, it would be meaningless to God without love. The next spiritual gift that is highlighted is faith. This is a troubling one, and you'll see why, especially when we get to the description of Jonah. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2, it says, if I had all understanding of the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, here's the key, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, and look at that phrase, I am nothing. 
I want to describe to you this type of faith because this is the kind of faith that I wish I had in my life. The type of faith that is described in this verse is the kind of faith that believes that God will never fail to do what he says he's going to do for the people that he loves. It's this unbreakable, unshakable type of faith that without a doubt knows that God will act certainly on behalf of his people. Why? Because he said he would do so within his word. There are times when I struggle with this. There are days of doubt in my life. I wish I had that type of faith. And when I find a stronger faith in people that I know and people that I love and care about, I get envious. I say to myself, man, I wish I had that type of unbeatable confidence in God like they might have. But even if you had that type of faith, but you didn't have a love for the people God called you to help, that type of faith would be worthless to God. And the troubling example is the story of Jonah. We're actually going to look at his life, I think, later on in the year, I think. But Jonah is a frightening character because he had that type of unbeatable faith. He had the faith that knew that if God truly shared the word, the gospel to the Ninevites, that they would repent and come to faith. He did not doubt in that book that God would be able to accomplish what he set out to do. But where Jonah messed up big time is in chapter four in verses one to three, even though he knew that God could bring the people of Nineveh to repentance, he did not want them to be saved. He didn't want them to repent. He didn't want them to be part of the family of God. Why? Because he did not love the people that he had been called to preach to. And because he had no love for these people, he was nothing to God. The truth of the matter is God can use anybody. Even someone like Jonah, God could use a donkey, God could use rocks, God could use sinners, God used Babylon, Assyria, he could use anybody he wishes. Nobody can stop what God wants to do. That's true. That's faith. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jonah, in all that he did, it was nothing to God because he did not have that agape love for the people God came to help. Why is this so important? It is so important because even though you might have a spiritual gift, if you do not have agape love, it equals nothing. Spiritual gifts minus agape love equals zero. And it tells us in the scriptures, in the gospel of John, that God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that is true. Even though God can use anything and anybody, we can do nothing without God's love in our lives. 
You see, that spiritual gift is quite shocking. But I think the next two spiritual gifts are actually quite surprising. The reason why I say that is because the next two spiritual gifts, even I thought before I looked at this passage, were the examples of goodness, were the models of people that were blessed and spiritual. The fact of the matter is, even these spiritual gifts used without love means nothing to God. The next spiritual gift that we can look at starts in verse 3. And let me read the verse. If I give away all that I have. The spiritual gift that we're talking about is the gift of charity. And this is this idea that when I give, without probably expecting anything to receive, even that can be done without agape love. You see this in the real world. You see a lot of non-Christian organizations that are incredibly charitable. You see false religions that are incredibly charitable. It doesn't require God's love to be charitable. Why? Because sometimes we're charitable because it makes us feel good. And so inherently, the reason why we become so generous sometimes is because we're selfish. We like that feeling of feeling good, and we love to be known as people who are generous and are able to give. But the kind of giving that God wants us to do is agape giving without expecting any gratitude, without expecting any response, with no strings attached, selflessly being unconditionally generous in our lives. You know, what is described in verse three is someone who gives up everything that they have. If you remember the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, he was challenged to give up everything that he had to the poor. And it was something that he couldn't do. And it makes sense. Even in Jesus's day, it was unheard of to find someone who would give everything up that they had to give it to the poor because there wasn't any, you know, net programs, social programs to help you in your poverty during those days. It was an incredible ask. But let's say someone theoretically went ahead and gave everything that they had to the poor, but did not have agape love. You know what the guarantee is in this passage? Is that they would be broke, not only fiscally, but also spiritually. They would have nothing at the end because they didn't do it with the right motivation. And that really is shocking when you think about it. The next and last spiritual gift that we can highlight in verse three is this idea of martyrdom. Let's look at it in verse three. It says this, if I give away all that I have, and here's the key, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. This was particularly surprising to me when I was reading this last line, because to me, I always thought that sacrificing and going through troubles and trials in the church to do what I felt like God wanted me to do was going to give me favor to God. It was going to give me some sort of merit to him. Even as a pastor, I was thinking that in my mind, but God is like, no, don't you dare start thinking that. 
You shouldn't have been thinking that from the beginning. Understand that even if you were to be burned alive on the stake, even if you were to hurt yourself thinking that you were doing some sort of penance for something, if you even did anything that hurt yourself in any way, even giving up your life for the cause of Christ, if you do such a thing without agape love, even that death that you might lay down is worthless to God. And that's shocking because you see that in other religions and other belief systems that they believe that if they give up their lives like martyrs, that they're going to get some sort of heavenly extra credit when they go up to heaven and get special treatment somehow. And God says, no, whatever you do, however you use the gifts that God gave you, always use them with agape love, unconditionally being shared to the ones that he has called you to help. So let's tie this up here as we close, because I really want to ask a couple of questions. These are not introductory questions. Sorry. These are concluding questions. Don't mind the slide. These questions were questions that I was wrestling with when it came to this message. As I see what goes on in the church and as I see, most importantly, what goes on in my life, how is it that I need to understand this passage, particularly for the love of God in my life? The first question that came to my mind is why do I and why do we as a church prize the spiritual gifts over the fruits of the Spirit, which is love? Why is it as a church that we often do the things that we're good at or the things that we've been gifted with? Why is it that we use and put so much effort in protecting and planning and, and preparing these gifts to be spectacular performances, going with what we're used, with, used to, you know, only doing what we're comfortable with. And all these gifts we try to put on and broadcast and we proudly display all the things that we think we're so good at. We might even boast about how great these things turned out with how many people it was able to bring in or how much effect it was able to have or how many numbers that we can account for and celebrate over. And we boast about these things as gifts. All the while we forget about the spiritual fruits that God wanted us to have before we even thought about using the gifts in our spiritual life. Get fruits of the spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. First of which again is love. How and why we do these things in our church how and why we use these gifts is more important than the things that we physically do. And when I'm able to understand that, that changes the way I do ministry. 
Even with the snow retreat, as we've been preparing, it was surprising how fast it came upon us. And we started to try to think about how we can do this and what does, most importantly, God want us to do. And it led us to this idea of pray and share, but we'd never done this before at a retreat in such a large fashion. How is God going to work? What is God going to do? What if he doesn't show up? The fact of the matter is, is that it takes a level of trust in the love of God in your life to know not only what God wants you to do, but how he wants you to do it. Most importantly, how can you do anything for the Lord if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing? And I think that's why today's passage is so important for us to understand the importance of the spiritual fruits of the Spirit, because it is not only how we are supposed to do things, but why we are supposed to do things. And it is because we have received the love of God in our life unconditionally, that now we have an unconditional agape love to share with everyone in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ as well. Why? So that when they experience this love from us unconditionally, they will know that we are God's disciples, disciples of Christ. Friends, let us place an emphasis not on what we do, but on the fruits of the Spirit, first of which is love. The next question I want to tackle is that, is it possible to have agape love without God? I think it's absolutely clear at this point that that is an impossibility. It cannot happen. We cannot have unconditional love until we first have experienced God's love for ourselves. And that was my prayer this morning. Lord, I cannot unconditionally love anyone in my life without you giving me this love this morning. And so this message needs to be couched in unconditional selfless love, meaning that I don't care. I don't care about what happens. I'm not concerned about what are the results or what are all the details that flow afterwards. I'm going to leave whatever happens next into God's hands. But right now, I need to understand in my mind that this is something that I want to use to unconditionally love you as a church. And what God chooses to do with the gifts is in his hands is in his control. I got to trust him because I love him and I know that he loves me. So no, I cannot have agape love in anything that I do if I am apart from God. And as you remember, as quoted in the Gospel of John, it says that because he is the vine and we are the branches, apart from him, we can do nothing. Finally, the last question I want to tackle this morning is how do I have this type of agape love in my life? How do I find this for myself? Well, there's some really special verses that I want to share because as we know in Galatians chapter five, verse 22, it gives us the list of the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
But shortly before verse 22 in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, it is a challenge for us to walk in the Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, we will have the fruits of the Spirit in verse 22, the first of which is love. Now, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, I believe that walking in the Spirit is a way that Paul uses to describe us with the Lord. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, not only do we need to spend time in God's Word, but we need to obey His commands. And as we receive God's love, as we read his word and his promises for our lives, and as we do what it is that God desires for us to do, it'll teach us to depend on him to give us what we need to give to other people. And when that is a part of our lives, then that will be an agape love that will be unmistakable in every single thing that we do in this church. That is my prayer for us this morning, that what we do as a church will be filled with agape love. As we were setting up this morning, as I'm in this English sanctuary, I went to the back of the sanctuary where the two bulletin boards still exist with the questions. What are your hopes and dreams? And what makes us a family? And as I was reading every single thing that was posted on those two bulletin boards, I began to realize that a lot of what was shared is life together, life in community, coming together over a meal, coming together in person as a, a congregation, as a family, eating together, multi-generational, without any um, differences or conflict, and without separating ourselves from each other. And those were the things that I read over and over and over again on those two bulletin boards. And I really want to tell you, church, please, as we are able to open up more and more as, as this year rolls on, as things start to loosen up and as you feel comfortable and as you feel ready, I challenge you to go ahead with agape love and to bring life together back to this church. Don't worry about what it is that you do. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about whether or not it'll be perfect or whether it'll look good or whether the food will taste good or whether or not, you know, who's going to be invited or who's actually going to show up or how many people are we going to have or how are we going to pay for it? Just unconditionally live life together. Bring people together as you are able and leave the results in God's hands. Don't try to control everything constantly. Let God work. When his agape love is shared by you to those around you, it will do what it sets out to do. You just have to trust him. So my encouragement to you, church, is that as things open up, as things loosen up, as you feel comfortable, as you feel ready, come together. 
Doesn't matter what it looks like. Doesn't matter if it's at this building or on this campus. Doesn't matter if it's with three, four, five people. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you cook. Doesn't matter how things taste. Doesn't matter if the program is all filled up. Just bring agape love together. Let that be the main ingredient on the table. And that will be special. And God will work. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to thank you, God, for this message. Because I am convicted every single step of the way. I get so worked up on what needs to be done and how it needs to be detailed and what are the programs going to be like and how are we going to fill everything with everything that we need just in case something goes wrong. These are all neutral things to you. Lord, what you really desire to see in your children is an agape love for one another, an unconditional, selfless love. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've placed expectations, for the times that we tried to control what you wanted to do, thinking that we knew better than you on how things were supposed to go. Lord, help us to trust in your power and your strength and your love. Help give us your love as a church so that as we share it, everyone and anyone will come to know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.